you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a J.C. softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, J.C. softball team. As long as, you know... Uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring little league anymore. Is we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Nah, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? Turn that damn you Hey buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in the latest episode of That SEC Podcast, presented by MyBookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Balls on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, man, you sound uh, pretty chipper after a Tennessee uh, loss. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, man, it's going to throw people off. You think I'd be sad, but I'm not, man. I am not for because a couple things. One, I got to see my new quarterback. All right. I wasn't expecting to win this game. Did I want to win it? Absolutely. So I, I'm not, I'm not, I was down. Okay. But the best thing to bring you up when you're down, Mike, is money. (laughs) (laughs) And if if Mizzou would have got there, if they would have just continued to do what I thought they were going to do, obviously this could have been a really fantastic weekend uh, financially. But uh, other than that, man, I'm I'm content, man. I ain't even mad. I ain't even mad about Tennessee. Well, hey, we're going to break down all these games, but we got to start with, uh, you know, we had a lot of big news here in the coaching, and and we're going to talk more about this kind of on the back end and then, of course, all week with the news at South Carolina. But let's just start right there real quick because I think even the diehard Gamecock fans, they don't really care about the Kentucky game that much. I'll do respect to the Wildcats. They care about Shane Beamer coming to town. Shane officially hired by South Carolina here on Sunday. <laughs> SEC can't handle two Shanes, can they? <laughs> <laughs> of course, he's the coach or the son of uh, Frank Beamer, legendary Virginia Tech coach. Mm-hmm. He's been serving as uh, Oklahoma tight end coach, and before that he was at Georgia, and he was working with the special teams there. He's coached at South Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Virginia Tech. He's got a lot of roots, and he's still a young guy. I think he's... Uh, I think he's like 40 in his lower 40s. I don't, I'm not sure his complete age here, but he's a younger guy. 
with uh, just a just an impressive track record already. But uh, you know, it, it it's too early. It's it's always stupid to me to sit here and grade a hire the moment it's made. Mm-hmm. We don't even know any of the coaches he's going to have around him just yet. But right, you know, on the surface, I like this because it's uh, this is in the mold, man of. LSU and Arkansas, you, you got to get a guy that wants to be there, a guy that fits your program. And uh, the, the only issue that I have with it is the fact that he's he doesn't have any experience as a head coach. And the SEC is not exactly the best place to try to learn on the job. But outside of that, right. I think this is, a, this is a great hire by South Carolina. Well, and, and it's weird because it felt like one of those hires that we kind of saw coming, you know, a lot of times you, you, you see names floating around and of course everybody was, was wanting a little bit of Hugh freeze and you heard the Napier talk coming up, but you know, Beamer was always at the top of that list when, when people were talking about, uh, you know, who'd be the next hire and, and rarely does that ever come to fruition. You know what I'm saying? It usually when you get those short lists, it's, it's it's hard to get somebody that's on those lists. It's usually somebody that you've not heard of or an offensive coordinator at this school. He was fan. You know, it's just that's typically how these things play out. So I don't – and for me to sit here and say I know a lot about Shane Beamer, I don't, Mike. Uh, I mean, what what kind of offense do you, do you expect him to be running? And do you expect him to be running the offense or do you – you think he's just going to do kind of like uh, Coach Pittman and just surround himself with uh, with coordinators? Yeah, a little bit of that. Um, now, my reference there, he was on Kirby Smart's staff when they went to the college football playoff. And, you know, he turned some heads because he left Georgia's program that was, you know, knocking on the doorstep of uh, winning it all to go to Oklahoma, which is another outstanding program, of course. But – he said it at the time, you know, he wants to go. He identified Lincoln Riley as this guy that's running this system that, you know, is going he thought was the best in the college football. And I think he could certainly agree with that given, you know, all the Heisman winners and number one picks and all that, that Oklahoma has been producing. So he went there to go learn Lincoln Riley's offense. So he's not, you know, his background is not uh, one of like an offensive guru type guy. Mm-hmm. He's more of he's more of a special teams guy, which I you know, I think he can win uh, Baltimore Ravens won a damn Super Bowl with the coach being a special teams guy. So I think he's going to more run the special teams. But I I would anticipate he's going to hire someone in the vein of uh, a Lincoln Riley to where, you know, they want to spread it out, throw it out. But at, at the same time. Oklahoma loves to run the ball too when they, when that presents itself too. So right. I think uh, South Carolina fans, and again, we, you know, we can't really answer this till he makes his coordinator hires, but uh, look for him to try to get maybe SMU. They, I don't think they're ranked at the moment, but they've been ranked most of the year. Their offensive coordinator is uh, Lincoln Riley's brother. Mm. I, I think that's the first guy he's going to go after to, to try to bring to South Carolina to bring kind of like that Oklahoma style offense and the name i'm check this name out shane for defensive coordinator potentially kevin Steele at auburn oh defensive coordinator who i think is one of the best i've ranked him number one in the sec heading into the year as defensive coordinator so if shane beamer if shane beamer can pull that off i think that'd be a hell of a move and let's just play devil's advocate there what what 
what would draw do you just what would make coach Steele leave the plains to go to south carolina uh well i believe he's from south carolina and you know it's just one of those deals out there on the plains where hell when isn't Gus on the hot seat? You know what I mean? I mean the <laughs> right. only thing saving his ass is his contract and, and Kevin Steele's defense. And at some right. point, you know, I don't think Gus is in danger of getting fired or anything at the moment, but hell, if they lose this last game to Mississippi State, would you be stunned if they turned around and fired Gus Malzahn? Um, or no. would you rather go to a situation where you know they're going to give you a couple years and you're you're back home and I don't know. I mean – I'm not saying Kevin Steele's leaving by any means because he's right. been down there a long time, but I don't know. It, that's that's just what I'm hearing. Okay. Well, I mean, if you think about it, Coach Steele's one of those names too. You hear for head coaching positions, so right. I don't know if he's you know willing to. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to do that. Maybe just he's content with being a coordinator. But I don't know. Um, yeah, okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, now, I did hear a little bit, because obviously I'm from this area. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of Jay Graham talk. Is that something I should be really worried about or a little worried about? Yeah, that seems to be... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's coming from so many different people. It seems like it's one of those where it's got to be true, you know? But yeah, I don't have any knowledge of it, but it certainly sounds like Jay Graham... Now, I, I believe he coached with Shane Beamer at South Carolina, so there is a connection there. But, of course, Jay Graham played at Tennessee. So I'll tell you what, Shane, if if he leaves his alma mater and Jeremy Pruitt for Shane Beamer, that, yeah. it's, it's that, one of those that's almost the writing on the wall for, for Pruitt, isn't it? It's, it's, like, it's like they're yeah. jumping ship. That's what I'm thinking. I think if he were to leave, it would be more about Pruitt's situation than Beamer's situation. Right. Now, hey, mm. we're going to have a lot. we got a lot of the, uh, to cover here. We're going to do more South Carolina stuff. They're going to have a presser tomorrow. So we're going to give okay. uh, some more on that in the coming days. But we got some other coaching news, Shane, because Kentucky has fired offensive coordinator Eddie Grant and quarterback coach Darren Hinshaw. And I think that's a move that, you know, for all due respect to Eddie Grant, I think he's a great offensive coordinator, but – Mm-hmm. You you know you just had the tragic passing of the offensive line coach, and the quarterbacks are not developing. The passing game's not developing for several years now. So this this move makes all the sense in the world. And if you're gonna bring in a new you know style of offense, I don't. I think it would have been kind of dumb for Mark Stoops to say, okay, well, let's bring in a new quarterback coach and an offensive line coach. And hope he meshes mm-hmm. with a, with Eddie Grand, the coordinator. You know what I mean? So it just right. makes sense to me to like clean house and and try to go in a different direction here for Kentucky football because you know they they're at, they're at a point right now. It's you know I'm not hell. <laughs> you were almost <laughs> pushing old Stoops on the hot seat, and it just got nothing to do with the defense. You know, it's got all to do with the right. with the offense and. They've got to get that thing turned around because there's it's starting to hurt them in recruiting. Where remember Mac Jones was committed to play at Kentucky. He he signed with Tua to, to go to Alabama over Kentucky, and you know they've just lost on some elite prospects over the years because their offense. Who in the hell wants to play in that thing? So 
Kentucky's got to make offense fun again, and if they can pair that with their defense, that's how they're going to contend in the SEC. They're just they're not going to do it every. There's there's only one Lynn Bowden to help them along. You know what? Oh yeah. Do you think uh, you think Georgia reaches out for old Eddie Graham? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, just kidding, just kidding. Too soon. <laughs> And then last uh, last coaching thing before we uh, recap the games here, Shane, Scott Cochran apparently pushing for the Vanderbilt job. The uh, Georgia special teams coach, former Alabama strength coach, and I first saw that. I want to give this guy credit, Josh Pate of the Late Kick on uh, 24-7 Sports, and I've seen it other places now being reported. But how about that? I mean, that's a that's a name. Wait, what's What's Scott Cochran going? Vanderbilt. For? He wants the Vanderbilt head coaching job. So. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that. I mean, come on. Let's 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 not get too carried away. I mean, you went from you went from strength conditioning to a coach. You know, yeah. you don't just jump. Say, all right, now I'm going to. Da, da, da. No, you can't. You can't weasel in that scene. No, I, I mean, I'm I'm glad that he he likes the job, but. Uh, I mean, unless. <laughs> I, I guarantee they put air conditioning in them workout <laughs> facilities. <you know? laughs> but uh, I think he needs to slow his roll. I think he needs to get a little more, a uh, little more coaching. Don't you think, man? I oh, mean, yeah. that's 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 a huge jump from from that to an SEC head coach. Yeah, I mean, with we're we're fans of Scott Cochran, all due respect. Yeah, uh, that would be a disaster for Vanderbilt if they if they <laughs> yeah. went that direction. You know, they said they've said they want a guy with an offensive background and a guy with head coaching experience. And he's basically the opposite of all that. So I think what this might be is just, you know, agents and everything pushing his name or, yeah. or hell, maybe, maybe he is getting interviewed, you know, but I can't see that one. I mean, that's, that's too far. No, no. I mean, and who knows, maybe a smaller school or something like that and prove himself, but uh, to get, I, th- I mean, Vanderbilt still, it's, it's a head coaching position in the SEC still, still a coveted position. Um, so I, I think they can they can afford to be a little picky. Not to, I mean, obviously they're not going to have the top shelf coaches, but they still are going to have plenty of options there. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, you ready to uh, recap some of these uh, games? It was a it was a hell of a weekend here in the SEC. Let's do it. All right, Shane, I wanted to start with uh, man. We we really nailed this one. Not that especially me, my predictions have been horrible, but <laughs> we did predict. That uh, the Nooners, man, they were going to be the great games, and they were. Oh, so let's start with uh, Missouri, Arkansas. What a fun, thrilling game this one. Missouri pulls it out at literally the last moment here, fifty to forty-eight over Arkansas. And uh, we all know the storylines going into this one, but you know there was a storylines at kickoff because Felipe Franks was out. Mm-hmm. Had no idea that was going to be the case. <laughs> KJ Jefferson. I believe this was his second career start, but only the first start since the Sam Pittman era. And, uh, you know, I thought he looked – he started a little slow. The offense took a moment to get into rhythm, only six points in the first quarter. But, uh, man, they went gangbusters after that. And uh, Missouri jumped out to the 10-0 lead, but Arkansas never gave up in this one, kept fighting. And, you know, things that stood out to me, Traylon Burks, I mean, my God, we need to – we need to get this guy the ball more often. He was just incredible in this game. 68-yard touchdown. Traylon Smith had three mm-hmm. rushing touchdowns for the Razorbacks. He was huge. 
And I I love the fact that Sam Pittman, when they were driving late in that game, scored the touchdown, could have kicked an extra point to tie the game. He said, no, to hell with that. We're going for two. We're going to win this thing on the road. But unfortunately, they left 43 seconds on the clock. And normally you'd think that'd be enough to to get the win. But the freshman, man, Connor Basilak, he's just got mm-hmm. – he's just so calm, cool, and collected. Drove him right down the field. And the freshman kicker, let's give this guy a shout-out. He's going to win uh, special teams player of the week. I would think Harrison Mavis, six – Five, excuse me, five for five on his kicks made the game winner with as time expired. And uh, just a hell of a game here, didn't you think, Shane? Oh, Mike, you know, a little frustrating too because when I did turn, when I was watching this game and then I find out Franks is out and they they, they kicked the field goal, had that, uh, that first drive kicked the field goal. Arkansas goes three and out. Mizzou goes down the field almost 70 yards. And right before Roundtree punches it in, I'm like, man, Mizzou is going to kill Arkansas. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. They look like shit. Mizzou's looking – they just can't stop Mizzou's offense. It just felt like they were hitting on all cylinders. So I made – you know, I already got my lock in. We'll, I'm sure we'll get to Kentucky and that great that great victory there, Mike. But the uh, – <laughs> that's what I call <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> but – at this, I was like, man, I'm going to throw 50 bucks at this game. Why not, man? I'm looking at the point spread, and it's like seven and a half. I was like, oh, I'm going to get that. It's, this is not going to be a problem at all. So throw 50 out. As soon as I do that, K.J. Jefferson turns into a freaking, uh, oh, shit, what's his name? Quarterback Eric, Kansas. Uh, Pat Mahomes. That's who I thought. <laughs> yeah, he looked like Patrick Mahomes out there. I was like, oh, my God, you know, I made a mistake. You know? <laughs> And this was a fantastic game. And, and we're, we're going to get more of the breakdown, but it was just one of those is back and forth. And, and neither team could really stop the other. Uh, it was almost like, and it, it kind of, that's what happened. It was almost like whoever had the ball last was going to win this thing. And, and you joke about 40-something seconds, but that's all they needed. That's all they needed at Mizzou to get some points on the board, sitting there at 5-3, a fantastic season so far uh, for Mizzou. Um, the only thing, Mike, that I didn't like, and I don't know if it's brought up, I can't remember in these clips, is uh, uh, my boy getting knocked out for the stupid call, the targeting call. Yeah, Nick Bolton got ejected for – I mean, we've got to do away with this damn targeting. That's two weeks – I mean, we got – yeah, we got Arkansas. If anybody can – I mean, because I had Arkansas fans, so there was a ton of those saying, man, that is not targeting. And they understand because they had to deal with it the last week. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now it's one deal if you just go, if you're just out there head hunting and you're like wrecking people. Yeah, yeah. Throw those guys out. Hell, throw them out for two games. I don't care. But these tackles, the one Jalen Catalan got tossed in LSU, and the one Nick Bolton had mm-hmm. here. I mean, I don't know what in the hell we're doing. I mean, where's this, these no. are these are guys that are taking every precaution that they can, but yeah. I mean, this is football, and they're not leading with their helmet. They're hitting with their shoulder. They're hitting the other guy in the shoulder. And I think it's easy when you slow it down and super slow-mo and a guy's head moves after he gets hit. Like, oh, <laughs> he got him in the head. But no, no. I mean, even after the game, Drinkowitz said, you know, he thought it was the right call and all this. But I think he's just saying that so 
his wallet's not any lighter because <laughs> <laughs> no, that was not, that was not a targeting. And it, you know, I certainly think that hurt Missouri and, it, and on the same flip side, Arkansas, Grant Morgan going down uh, that, mm-hmm. I, you know, as, as great a story as these two teams are, I'm not trying to take away from anything. Cause I think they've been outstanding, probably the two best coaching jobs in the sec right here. But these rosters at this point, they cannot sustain key players going down. No. They just can't. And maybe, uh, you know, hopefully that changes But next year and the years to come when they get more and more of their guys in there. But that's just kind of the state these rosters are at. And, uh, mm-hmm. man, it was just a terrific game. And Missouri was trolling the hell out of Arkansas. I mean, my God, with the <laughs> yes, sir tweets, I mean, about one every 15 minutes for three hours after this one. And it's kind of funny because Arkansas has been trolling everybody so damn hard all year. So kind of got turned on them. This was the the best one I thought was uh, apparently this was the biggest fourth quarter comeback in Missouri history. Yeah. And Missouri tweeted that. uh, (laughs) Did we just break the uh, all-time fourth quarter comeback record? Yes, sir. It's awesome, man. I mean, it was awesome. It was an awesome game. Trey, you think Traylon Smith? You know, I was really, I was worried. You know, because I know Boyd. You know, he hasn't had the year that that we were expecting. And uh, man, it's just you know they talked. They were talking to Coach Pittman before the game. And he's like, Nah, we'll be fine. We got we got Smith. You know, right. one hundred seventy two yards, three touchdowns. Smith sitting over there. And then you look on the other side, and it's Roundtree. A lot of people didn't even. I think Roundtree is one of the one of the quietest, like least talked about running backs in the SEC right now. And what he's been able to put together this season was was awesome. It's it's been fantastic. So I just thought, you know, he got a little bit of a a little bit of a showcase. It felt like this week. Yeah, I should have mentioned him. 185 yards, three touchdowns. Tyler Beatty, my goodness, he only had six attempts, but 79 <laughs> yards, two touchdowns. So yeah. The, the offense was high-flying for both sides. But, uh, hey, let's kick it all over now to Eli Drinkwitz. Gets his first win in this series. He's pretty fired up to get it. Uh, he talked about Connor Bazelak under pressure on his freshman kicker, uh, Harrison making it, and uh, the leadership there of Larry Roundtree and Nick Bolton. And uh, the final comment is kind of the best one here on the, on the belief that's being instilled inside that Missouri program. Eli, you, you talked about kind of Connor's demeanor all year and how calm and cool he is. How, how valuable is that when he faces that situation with less than a minute to go and, and has to complete those passes that he did? Yeah, you know, he's got just a great head on his shoulders, sees the defense really well, you know, found a matchup that he felt like he could take advantage of, and he just kept hammering it. And, uh, you know, it's just it's, – you're always, as a quarterback, going to be measured on your game-ending drives. And uh, that's the measure of a wing quarterback. And for him to get that one today was pretty awesome. You mentioned a little bit about Harrison there, but I, I'm, I'm just curious about, you know, did you have any doubt he was making that kick when you sent him out for the game winner? And if so, what's the reaction you have to send a true freshman out for that big of a moment? I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have any doubt, um, but I felt good about it. I mean, he'd been six for six. And, and so, <clears throat> honestly, um, I looked across the field. I was about the 50, and Sam was on the 50, and so I just watched him. and when the ball was kicked and he stuck his head down, I knew he'd won. So uh, feel bad for them. They played a rec- really good game. 
um, to play as well as they did without their starting quarterback. K.J. Jefferson was unbelievable today. And, um, but, you know, proud of our team. Eli, you've talked a lot this season about kind of always competing that value. Yeah. I'm curious when you, you know, if you all are down 14 in the fourth quarter or Arkansas gets that two-point conversion, do you have to say anything to the sideline at that point? Um, I mean, I think a lot of us, excuse me, we're on the sideline saying, let's go win the game. Let's go win the game. Let's go win the game. And, you know, I know the defense was disappointed because they felt like they had a chance to intercept that ball right there and didn't get it done. But uh, we just told them, hustle off the field. We're going to go win the game for you. And that's why it's called the team sport, T-E-A-M. Um, our guys, it's all about winning, winning, finding a way to win. And, uh, you know, we did that today. Hey, Eli, uh, another big game for Larry Roundtree here. We've talked about him all year, 185 yards, three touchdowns. Just what has he meant to this program here in your first year as, uh, as you kind of try to take this program to the next level, but uh, and after, unfortunately, say goodbye to him? Yeah, I mean, he's a captain voted on by his teammates, which shows he has the respect of his teammates. Um, as a coaching staff, he shows up every day to work with a great attitude. Uh, he always is working to get the, the energy at practice the way it's supposed to and the way it's supposed to be in the locker room. Um, he's got a great smile and a great charisma about him. And, and um, I can't say enough good things about who he is as a person. And then as a player, I mean, just as tough as he runs and, and um, does everything the right way. Eli, you talked about overcoming adversity. Um, yeah. Is an example of that seeing Nick Bolton on the sideline in the fourth quarter kind of leading the – the pumping up and doing some coaching. I mean, he would have been understandable if he was pretty dejected, but it didn't seem like that was his his demeanor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to turn your energy and do what you can. You can't dwell on the past. You can't focus on the past. You focus on right now and what you can contribute to our team. And he was doing an excellent job. He was coaching people on the sideline. He's got great energy. He's a captain. And I think, you know, obviously it's deflating when you lose a, a good player like that, but uh, you got to keep stepping up. Hey, Kiki, big day for you, big dog. Six for 113. Coach, just how have you been able to, to change the culture of this team? They won six games last year. You've already won five this year. I don't, uh, I don't necessarily like the term, you know, change the culture. I just think we've instilled a belief and an identity of who we are and what we're going to be about. And uh, like I've said before, that's not for everybody, and that's okay. But as long as we're here, we're going to be about these things. You know, we're going to have a standard of performance. We're going to have a, a one and O mentality. We're going to have an always compete mindset. We're going to build trust and respect. You know, we're going to do more than what's expected. And I thought one of the coolest things today or yesterday was when I saw Josh Bledsoe tweet out, enjoyed the journey because that's core value number four. And so for him to already understand that life is not about a destination, it's about a journey that you're on and enjoying the people that you're around it tells you that they're just taking hold of it. And uh, we've got a lot more to do. And, uh, you know, appreciate the administration believing in me and believing in our staff and continue to push forward. I know, um, you know, Mizzou Nation is getting excited about what we're doing. Recruits are taking notice. And uh, we're not done yet. All right, Shane. So, I, you know, I've been quick to credit Sam Pittman for, you know, all season he's not taking the credit. And so we got to do the same thing with Coach Drinkowitz here, basically saying – you know, they're just buying into kind of what we're trying to put into this program and it's working. And, man, who would have thought this time last year with – I know they didn't exactly all happen, you know, in the same couple of days or anything, but 
We got Mike Leach, Lane Kiffin, Eli Drinkowitz, and Sam Pittman coming to town. And, Mm -hmm. you know, nothing against Leach or Kiffin because they've certainly had their bright spots, and and Kiffin looks to be riding high at at Ole Miss right now. But, hell, these two coaches were outstanding hires, and I I think they were the two that were kind of the two big question marks in the SEC last year. Uh, Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, you know, something you talked about in the last pod was the winner of this game, in your opinion, is going to be the coach of the year. And are you still? I mean, I, I saw you put the poll out and everything like that. You, you are you thinking Eli's the guy right now? I mean, don't get me wrong. I think what Coach Pittman's done has been fantastic. In fact, that record's even a little skewed if you if you think about the Auburn game. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there was there was uh, just throwing that out there, man. <laughs> there was a chance that that these guys sitting there at four or five, and uh, you know, to go from zero SEC wins to, to what they're doing now and, and limping into this thing because you've got some players, you know, second, third in the depth chart, you know, and they've been able to get, get a lot out of them. But then you go on the flip side and, and you've got Coach Eli here sitting there five and three, some very impressive wins on the resume, still has an opportunity to close out this season strong. I mean – uh, do you do you feel like uh, the Eli's the guy? And I got to throw it out there because it was brought up multiple times in that uh, in that little poll. But uh, Jimbo, uh, you got Fisher sitting down there. He was another one that that a lot of people are thinking that he should be uh, in the running for SEC Coach of the Year. What do you think, man? Mm, I'm I'm writing off Jimbo immediately. He's done a great okay. he's done a great job, but Coach of the Year, I don't know. I mean that. They beat Florida. That was, I mean, they've had several nice wins, but kind of got smoked in their biggest game. So, yeah. for, to me, it comes down to Pittman or, or Drinkowitz. And, well, the season's not over yet, Shane. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to ride that fence until further okay. notice. But, hey, I'll, I'll tell you what. How about this? I'm putting them right now. I'm probably putting each of them as co, co-coach of the year right now. Because I, I can't I can't pick a difference here right at the moment because I just think they both done such an outstanding job, mm-hmm. and I think you can make an argument for either one. Uh, I've been on Sam Pittman the whole year, but it's kind of like, and I predicted this. I thought the team would kind of, I don't want to say come apart at the end, but I mean, my God, look at their schedule. I knew they were going to have some losses to A and M, Florida, LSU, and now Missouri. And then the COVID hits. Now the quarterback's out. I mean, how many losses yeah. can you sustain here? You know. So, uh, what about? I'm gonna throw one out uh, just because we're talking about new hires. I mean, Lane Kiffin's another one. You know, he's sitting there at a pretty good record. Uh, also, another questionable, questionable victory on their schedule. And and you're sitting there and you're looking at they got Texas A&M and LSU. I mean, they close out if they if they're able to beat the Maggies. I mean. It'd be, I mean, that you've got to pencil him in right then, wouldn't you? We'd have three coaches the year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I just, I, I just, I'm excited for programs like this because it gives hope for programs like South Carolina. You know, South Carolina, they had, they struggled. They've been, you know, it just shows you, you know, you bring some new blood into your system. Mm-hmm then all of a sudden you're competing in games and, and South Carolina could be the same thing. So, um, and maybe in other programs, I'm not saying they're going to hire fire Pruitt, but you know, or Vandy, you know, sometimes you just get the right coach in there and all of a sudden it's, it's, you, it shows you that 
you go from an automatic victory when somebody's going to be playing against you to now, well, we can't quite do that yet because these guys have proved that they can play against anybody. Mm -hmm. Hey, last thing before we uh, move on from this game real quick, let's kick it over to Sam Pittman who talked about uh, KJ Jefferson, getting him ready to play in this game. Again, uh, the redshirt freshman, I thought, you know, overall looked outstanding in this one. I think the Razorback fans got to be happy with the future of that position on the decision to go for it. Uh, go for two at the end of the game. And then on Missouri faking some injuries, they kind of – Sam Pittman kind of calls them out here a little bit. Yeah, Coach, I guess just how proud are you of, of KJ? Yeah. And what kind of a, a week did he have? Did you expect maybe a, a game like this? What are you asking about, Scotty? KJ Jefferson, I'm sorry. What kind of week? Yes, sir. Yeah, and then yeah, just – He had a really good week. We knew early in the week that uh, Felipe was uh, – uh, beat up and that uh, we didn't know if he'd be able to play or not. Uh, he certainly tried on uh, Wednesday, uh, but just this wasn't ready. I, no, he tried on Tuesday and he just, he just wasn't ready. And uh, we came out here today and, and uh, you know, we asked him to throw some balls and see if he, you know, if he could play, but obviously we, we knew KJ was ready and he had practiced and, the more importantly, the coaching staff and the team believes in him, and uh, uh, we certainly should, you know, with that performance. Sam, I'm assuming you had a two-point play queued up pretty much when you went down the field on that. Was no doubt about what you were going to do there? Yeah, no doubt. I, matter of fact, they'd scored and went up seven, and they'd scored 21 in a row, you know, and and uh, they went up seven on us, and in that last drive, I told Kendall, I said, I'm going for two. I'm going to end this thing. You know, we can't, you know, we're having a hard time stopping them. We're going to steal this game, go home. And uh, then the last time out there before we scored, I just reminded the team, I told the team, I said, hey, I'm going for two. We're going to get this two-point conversion, go home. And uh, and it was a wild play, but we did get it. And, uh, and we couldn't stop them. Coach, the, the defense did get, you know, several stops to hold them to field goals. So what was it that they were doing differently during during the comeback portion? Was it really, was it just them going up tempo? And then also, you know, several several Missouri injuries while you guys were trying to, you know, push the football down the field. Any any thoughts on those? Well, um, you know, I don't know if the kids were hurt or not, but there was a lot of them. And uh, there's no penalty for that. So, um, again, I'm not a medical doctor, but there are a lot of kids that got hurt and they came back today. And that's not the integrity of the game, in my opinion. All right, Shane. So, got to credit Pittman for going for it here. And, hell, I thought uh... – this was interesting comments about the faking injuries because we start we've seen that a couple times with Tennessee this year, and they lost every damn game they did it. But Missouri turned around and did it, and it I guess it worked for them. But yeah, how do you how do you curb this? I don't know if you if you really can because you the last thing you want to do is you know tell a, say a player's lying about being hurt. You know, <laughs> yeah, I know, but but you know, it's like. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I mean, this is such a fine line, and and to purposely fake injuries, just I have just never been a fan of that. I, I know, I know why they do it. 
and, and trust me, I've been on both sides. I, I've I've watched a, a team do it to us, and you're just you're so damn pissed. But then you do it, and you're just like, oh my god, <laughs> this is where we're at right now. We're faking injuries <laughs> to slow down an offense. So uh, I just I don't know. I I, I don't know, man. I, unless unless they come up with some countermeasures that that penalizes the team. So like if someone does go down with an injury, maybe you keep them out for a series or something like that. And then that way you can, you know, cover yourself for the protection of the player because you're, you're forcing the other team to keep them out so that he can get the medical and I'm using air quotes attention needed, (laughs) but also it penalizes you if you do fake an injury, because, you know, I've seen a lot of these kids that get hurt, they get pulled out and miss a play, and then they're right back in there. Well, if they, if you got to keep them out that entire drive or something like that, then you start, you know, well, maybe we shouldn't have him fall down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think there's enough up tempo offense. Like there, like you think years past, there was there was a lot more up tempo mm-hmm. um, than than there are this year. Like so, I would think if there were going to be a rule change, it would have happened already by now. All right, Shane, let's move on to the other noon game. Like I said, this was a you know, fairly good game here. Texas A&M goes on the road, beats Auburn 31-20. to 20. And uh, right out the gate, Shane, I knew this was going to be a different game than what we saw from the Aggies on, uh, against LSU because they were so pathetic on third down. In the opening drive, they converted both their third down, scored a touchdown. Jalen Watermeyer continues to look like uh, – Maybe the best t- tight end in the nation, not named Kyle Pitts. He's really emerging. And, uh, you know, the Aggies got hit with a little adversity because they were dominating mm-hmm. this game. If you missed it, they went for it on a uh, third and third and inches, I think it was, near the goal line. Didn't get it. So they kicked a field goal, which was not much longer than an extra point. They missed it. And then basically for the next quarter, Auburn kind of dominated the game. And you'd think, well, maybe – Maybe this is where uh, the the Aggie magic kind of comes to an end here, but man, they just took over in the fourth quarter, won the game seventeen to zero in the fourth quarter, and obviously with the margin of eleven, so that won them the damn game there in the fourth quarter. But story of the game: mm-hmm. Texas A and M could not be stopped on the ground, three hundred thirteen yards on the ground, six point seven yards a carry, forty seven attempts. Uh, Kellen Mond was very efficient, 196 and two touchdowns through the air. He had a, a 60 yards rushing as well. And then for Auburn, I mean, where in the hell? We've been saying this basically all season, but where's the passing game? Because yeah. Tank Bigsby kind of – and I'm trying to figure out what in the hell – what was the plan there? Because he didn't play in the first quarter. He played a little bit, I believe, in the second. He busts a 42-yard run, and then he's basically not seen from again. <laughs> And mm-hmm. basically the only thing here, and, and and hang with me here. Let me see if I'm, maybe I'm just full of it today. But when I, when I rewatch this game, Bo Nix, I mean, he, you know, he's got his issues throwing the ball, but he's like a little tank running the ball. I mean, he, he needs to run the ball damn near every play, I think. I, that's the strong point of his game. Yeah. He reminds me, and this is going to sound crazy, Shane. He reminds me of Tim Tebow, but with just like less talent around him. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're like, the passes are going to yeah. be hit or miss, but then 
when you run him, he's just like this little tank. He's like a fast yeah. version of Tim Tebow with uh, with not nearly as much help around him. What do you think about that? That's it's interesting. Uh, I could see it because you're right. Um, it, the the passing. I don't know. I thought the passing would be further along here, and and you could say the same thing with with Tim Tebow. Even in the NFL, there was right. there was games he looked really good, and then some games you're just like, oh my god, I can't believe this guy's playing football. <laughs> right. It's just uh, I I think just the it's one of those like the floor is really high, really low, and the ceiling's really high. So you think of it kind of like that. It's just you just don't know what player you're going to get because. I'm watching this game, and and, and you're, there there was a couple times it was it was Bover throw, you know, <laughs> it's like he's throwing it 15 feet over somebody, and then the next thing you know, uh, he's doing something so damn athletic and unbelievable, like that little scramble he did. I don't know how he avoided getting sacked, but was able to score a touchdown. And it's just. He does little things like that. You're just like, golly, man! If you could harness all the good and get rid of all the bad, he'd be God's gift to football. But he just—it's—it's it's everywhere, man. It is—it's like the Tasmanian devil back there. Mm-hmm. And we targeted uh, Seth Williams. I'm looking at it five times. We targeted Schwartz five times. Each of them had three catches. And if the running game—I mean, they had 196 yards rushing, yet. They just just didn't have much to show for it. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of the same deal as Alabama. They they'd get in the red zone, and if Bo Nix wasn't going Superman, Tim Tebow, they were having to kick field goals. Mm-hmm. And when you can't stop the other team from doing what they want on you, uh, I mean, basically the only time Auburn stopped Texas A&M, like I said, when they missed a field goal, or I believe there was two drives when the Aggies had holding calls. And that was about it. I mean, that was the only stops in the game. So, I don't know. I, I think if I'm a Aggie fan, I'm pretty excited about this showing. I know it's, um, you know, college football playoff committee. We all got to worry about the margin of victory and all this. But, man, they just got to keep racking up these wins, particularly double-digit wins on the road in the SEC. And uh, I think they're they're taking care of business. And I don't think they have any concern I know there's teams ahead of them in the rankings, but if any of those teams fall, I think Texas A&M sliding right in. I don't. I guess basically what I'm trying to say is they they didn't do anything to hurt their chances here. Do you think? No, but it it was. I mean, this game was closer than it looked. Um, you know, this thing, this even though Bo was sporadic, even though they had a tough time getting the the running game going. Even though they couldn't stop Texas A&M, I mean Auburn still hung in there. Mm-hmm. And if a couple of bounces went their way, I mean we could be singing a different story here. And, and Tamu taking a big loss, and that really would have been tough. So I, I I still think what benefited them was the fact this game was on at noon, and Arkansas was just a better game to watch. You know what I'm saying? So maybe maybe there just wasn't a lot of eyeballs on this thing. Uh, but it, it was not a pretty win. If this was a, this was a, I don't know. I think a lot of flaws came out. I, th- I think there was a lot of flaws being exposed about Texas A&M during this game as well, man. Mm-hmm. Now, now, and again, they're, again, they're seven and one. We're nitpicking here, but it's just, we're at that point where you have got to have some pretty wins, man, because 
when this committee meets next week, uh, they're not going to be talking about the 31-20 game at Auburn. They're going to be talking about some of these other programs that blew, who like a Florida Gators that just didn't have a, you know, that just ran all over Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Well, let's kick it over to Jimbo real quick. Shane talking about uh, the decision to kick the field goal at the end of the game on his Aggie team uh, overcoming the adversity that I mentioned there, and then on Kellen Mond having a nice rebound game. And, and electing to go with the kick there at the end, I mean, what kind of confidence do you hope that gives Seth after that, that miss earlier in the game? Well, I told him in there. I believe he missed the field goal kick early, and we knew it, but it was the right thing to do. Two scores, and I believe I watch him every day. I know what he does. I know how he misses, and uh, he don't miss much, so he had that one out of his system. I knew the next one would be good. <laughs> but uh, I mean, we could have went for it on inches, but it's the right thing, and I believe in him 100%, and uh, very proud of him. That was, a, that was a huge kick to be able to hit that. Yeah, Jimbo. Uh Third goal at the one, you don't get it, miss the field goal. They go down and score. Uh, how? What's different about this team that maybe in past that might might hurt you and, you and this team is able to overcome that? Well, I think you, you start – you can't worry about the last play. Whatever happens, happens. All right, what's the situation we're in? How do we handle on offense? How do we handle on defense? I think it's a maturity thing. And you got to grow up and you got to understand those things. And listen, there's going to be momentum swing of the game. They're going to make plays. Bad things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen. Process what happened last time. Learn from it. Move on. If that situation comes up again, learn from it. But play the next play. And we're learning to do that. And that's very important. And it's, it's maturity from our football team. Jimbo, with, uh, with Kellen coming off a tough game against LSU, what did you see from him in terms of bouncing, especially in that fourth quarter? I saw him all week. Listen, Kellen, nobody – Whoever, you, don't you talk about players, coaches, teams who don't play well? Nobody puts more pressure on them than we do ourselves. And he, and he knew he didn't play well, but it, we, had to, we had to play well around him, too. There was a, a com- combination of things. He practiced his tail off this week, was bright-eyed, ended prepared well, practiced well all week, played well, and then played well in the game. And that's the maturity he is, and that's who he is. He's a winner. Uh, Jimbo, just uh, the feeling in, that you had going into the fourth quarter, how – uh, I wonder if you had some frustration before that and how confident were you all that uh, you'd be able to control things the way you did? No, I wasn't frustrated. I mean, you're all, I mean, you're, it's the next game. That's what you play good people. You, you expect them to make play. When you expect things to be tough and get tough, it don't bother you. I knew it was going to be tough in here. Our players knew it was going to be tough. So we had to keep matching and raising our game and doing the things we had to do. We felt we was going to have to eat clock, but we was going to have to score points. We were going to have to run the football and convert on third down. Make our plays in the red zone. We knew exactly what we talked about at halftime. Went out there and did it. All right, Shay. So I think the key for me, you know, aside from everything else we talked about, is just getting Kellen Mond right because I think that's so important for this Texas A&M team. Because you, mm-hmm. he just, I mean, he's been so good this year. And then that LSU game, it just, it it just gave me terrible flashbacks of what we've seen from Kellen Mond. You know, one game he'd show up, one game he wouldn't, one game he would, one game he wouldn't. Right. We hadn't we hadn't seen that this year, so we had to, you know, that bad game. We kind of saw it the Vanderbilt a little bit, so we had to we had to get that out of our out of our mind because we need Kellen Mond playing to his highest capability. Because I think you're right. There there is a drop off between Texas A and M and some of these other teams, but if not, if Kellen Mond is playing efficient, we just saw it against Florida. Hell, they beat Florida, so. But he had probably his best game he's ever played. Yeah, against Florida, so they need him to play at that high level to be a playoff contender. And mm-hmm. you know they didn't need him to win this one, but he certainly didn't. Uh, he didn't do anything to hurt him either. And and 
and he made wow. enough plays to win this one. So I think that's kind of a big takeaway for the Aggies. Yeah, no, and they they got the victory. That's they went in, they got the victory, they got out. It, it seems like everybody stayed healthy. That was another big big thing, you know. That none of the bigs got hurt, so that was awesome. Um, Widermeyer, you know, we talk a lot about these some of these other tight ends and stuff. It's just watching this kid. It's it's funny because you know where the ball's going to go. Like when they when it's crunch time and they need a, a either a first down or a touchdown, it's like everybody on this field, everyone in the stands, everybody watching the game knows that Wattemeyer is probably going to get this ball, and it still doesn't matter because you can't stop them. So I just I don't know, just un, one of those unsung players that that a lot of folks just I just don't think he's getting enough credit, but. Uh, he had a, a fantastic ball game. I mean, they showed some stat that was like at one point seven targets, seven completions. That just shows you how automatic he is when the ball gets near him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, f- a final thing before we move on from this one, Shane, kick it on over to Gus Malzahn, who, you know, I don't want to say he threw his uh, defense under the bus or anything here. Hell, they, they did allow 500 and nine yards of total <laughs> offense. So understandably frustrated in this one. But again, I think it was probably, well, I can't, I'm not going to put it all on the offense either because the defense didn't necessarily do their part. But, uh, you know, Auburn's offense didn't really do much in this one outside of a couple plays here or there. But Gus was pretty frustrated with the defense. He was asked about Bo Nix's performance and, uh, you know, Auburn's plan on offense and then on failing to meet the goals of the season and hell he was hyping up you know we can finish with seven and three now he says well hell we can finish six and four and hell the fans got pretty heated after after uh, these comments yeah gus uh defensively just what went wrong this seemed like one of your worst performances in the last few years it seemed well it was just a matter of stopping the run i mean that's it was pretty simple we we couldn't stop them um and um you know, they, they did a good job. Their offensive line is good. Their back is good. Um, but we couldn't stop the run, and that was a that was a big factor today. Russ, how do you uh, evaluate Bo's day overall, especially in the first half with that first missed throw, but then he bounced back? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he competed. I mean, you talk about he made some plays out of nothing. Um, you know, he made a scramble play for about 30 yards and we went max protection and we flooded everything out and he made a play, the touchdown play that he made down there from the five yard line when they had him, two or three guys had him, he circled back out and he acted like he's throwing it and he got in the end zone, was a wild play. Uh, he competed, he's a great competitor and I thought he did some very good things today. Yeah, How big a factor were the third downs on defense for you guys today? It was a big factor, you know, um, and we talked about it. You know, we got to get off the field on third down and uh, give them credit. Um, they did a good job on third down, and like I said, they, they played keep away. Um, you know, I think in the first first half they did a good job too, and I think the offense had the ball three times in the first half other than that last play. You know, they ran the smoke draw with the, with the clock running out, but uh, just had trouble getting off the field. Guys, what was the plan offensively? Was it to, uh, you know, a lot of short things because we didn't ever see a deep shot and really weren't a lot of guys even running down the field deep. Was it more just to kind of keep it underneath? 
Yeah, you know, we're really trying to run the ball and play action. Um, you know, we thought we had some opportunities to play action. We did have some guys, you know, we did some some flooding the field, flooding the boundary. So, yeah, we did have some guys that, but they weren't giving us that. You saw them clouding a few times. They were making sure keeping everything in front of them. So kind of it's take what they give you. And, um, you know, I thought in the second, third quarter, I thought that we got in a rhythm. You know, the offense had some real long drives. I mean, that, that, that's the number one defense in the league. And, they, they mix in the run and the pass well. I think, like I said, I think the bottom line is we had to kick two field goals down there, and you got to score touchdowns. And if we had scored touchdowns, I think we'd feel a little bit better, you know. But it was kind of one of those games that, you know, you just felt like you just you, you had to had to do well on every drive. And, and obviously the, the three and outs in the fourth quarter was, was tough. Gus, you mentioned earlier in the week that the goal now is to go seven and three and kind of get redemption against the top five team. Now that those are kind of out of the question, what's the message to the team heading into the final week? It'll, it'll be transition. Uh, it'll be the next best. You know, the six and four, and you know, and you know, so that that's that's what it'll be. And uh, you know, six and four, and if you had a normal non-conference schedule, it'd be a a solid year, but obviously, you know, we're not not happy. Like, you know, that we did, wasn't able to beat one of those ranked teams. I think we played the number one, uh, number five, and and what was it, number two or, or three when we won the road earlier, and you know, we were, wasn't able to win those games. All right, Chad. So Gus has even come out already, and and he's issued another statement because he's had to back off. ease six and four comments. <laughs> but I mean, that just goes to show you, man. This is kind of what I'm talking about with Gus and the fan base, and they're for whatever reason. I mean, I think most of it has to do with you look over at Alabama and you're like, my God, why can't we be them? And they were not far from Alabama last year. Now they're significantly stepped down and. You know, he's got these comments here about the defense not playing well, so that kind of goes mm-hmm. with my Kevin Steele comments there to South Carolina potentially. But I don't know. It's just they're in a precarious spot here at Auburn, and it's not like I'm saying this is the end of the Gus Malzahn era because I think they could be really good next year. They got plenty of pieces. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. This is just uh, he seemed like he's kind of over the season now, doesn't it? Yeah, almost like he's. You know, let's we'll start working on next year. You know, it's just that's not what you want to hear. You know, let's let's address like you said, let's address the defense. But you you think about the last three games that they've given up over four hundred and fifty yards of offense in all three of those. And, you know, I, I, I know this these last two have been tough, but you look at a Tennessee program that put two hundred yards rushing against you. It's just I don't know. There's there's definitely something wrong on that side of the ball, and, and to act like it's not and, and focus on next season, that's not what the fans want. The fans wanted a competitive game. They wanted – they're expecting an upset. I mean, you, you talk to an Auburn fan going into this thing, mm-hmm. they realistically thought they had a really good shot uh, to beat them. And uh, hell, Vegas thought they had an opportunity to do it, you know. So it just – you know, you got to win one of these games, and that's just something they haven't done this year. No, they've uh, basically struck out against all the top competition they faced. You know what? Exactly. All right, Shane, before we move on here, I want to remind the listeners we're brought to you by MyBookie. Head on over to MyBookie.ag today with that promo code THATSEC. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Shane. <laughs> we all deserve a win. We all deserve a little extra money in our pocket. And we all deserve to have a little fun. So the only place you're guaranteed to get all three 
You know where that is, Shane. MyBookie.ag, the only sports book that doesn't care whether you're naughty or nice this year. We got gifts for everybody. <laughs> Sign on up today. Receive a ultimate stocking stuffer, a 50% deposit match up to $1,000 using that promo code that SEC. That's T-H-A-T-S-E-C. Head on over to MyBookie.ag. They got uh, NFL football, college football, college basketball, NBA, NFL, MMA. They got it all. Head on over to mybookie.ag today using that promo code that SEC. Head on over to mybookie. Made the make the most of your holidays this weekend and strut into 2021 with some cash in your pocket. Doesn't that sound good, Shane? Oh, I love cash, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, head on over to mybookie. All right, Shane, next game on the docket, Alabama. Just open a damn mm. can of whoop-ass here on Alabama, or excuse me, on LSU, 55-17. to 17. And you knew this thing was going to get ugly. I don't, I don't know if you saw these comments, uh, Shane, right up to the pregame, but these were kind of the worst of them all when Saban was uh, talking, I believe with CBS, and they asked him, you know, about this matchup, and he said, well, you know, I think LSU thinks they can play with us after last year. We've got to change that mindset. <laughs> and, oh, man. I know this is just one game, but this was a humiliating game. We got Ed Ogeron throwing fits on the sideline. Uh, Devonta Smith, all of a sudden, he's now the, the Heisman favorite from Alabama. He's getting all the love. He had eight catches for 231 yards, three touchdowns. Most of that damage came in the first half. Of course, Mac Jones, another flawless performance, 385 yards, four touchdowns. When in the world, Shane, is a quarterback ever thrown for 385 yards and four touchdowns and not been the key story of the game? But <laughs> it's almost like Mac Jones is so perfect, we just overlook him. And now we're like, well, hell, Najee Harris got 50 touchdowns this year. Devonta Smith is the best receiver in the country. These guys deserve some love, so... I mean, it just goes to show that everybody on Alabama uh, deserves some love, particularly on this offensive side of the ball. And and just like we've been saying, man, the defense now has turned a corner. I know LSU hit him for a couple big plays here. John Emery had a 54-yard touchdown run. And, and Tank, he came in there and looked pretty good. He had, had 144 yards passing and a touchdown. Mac Johnson also came off the bench and had 110. But that was in junk time. But for the most part, Alabama's defense, outside of one or two plays, held LSU in check. And, you, I mean, we kind of hit on it there with Texas A&M-Auburn. Maybe not, you know, that uh, the win the committee is going to be looking for. 55-17 on the road. That's <laughs> a win the committee is looking for. And it, yeah. it's not like Alabama could win every game by one point. They're still going to be in the playoff. They're still going to be number one team. But, uh, God. They're getting better each week, you know what? It's it's almost not fair, Mike. It really isn't. I mean, this this game, I mean, did anybody watch the second half? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I mean, when this thing went to halftime, 45 to 14. I mean, it, it, the, I think the highlight was when Gary Dent couldn't talk <laughs> <off>. <laughs> Oh, so there were there was like two and a half quarters. I didn't even have to listen to Gary. So no, this was a win-win, man. And and you're right. This team is is 
I, I, I know I, I use that, that metaphor hitting on all cylinders a lot, but man, that's what these guys are doing. They're just, they are firing on all cylinders. They are just legit. And week after week, they show you, they, they just, they never come unprepared. And, uh, let me ask you, Mike, this victory, 55-17, are, are, was this more about how good Alabama is or how bad LSU is? I'm glad you asked that, Shane, because, I mean, we're getting to a point where this is like comical how bad this defense is with Bo Pelini. Yeah. And it's not like they don't have – I know they've lost a lot, but now they got Derek Stingley, who they were hyping up as – Maybe the best, not corner, but best player in college football all offseason. Mm-hmm. They've got tons of linemen that are touted, and, and are some of them are actually playing pretty well. They brought in Cox, who's like a three-time All-American at, I know, the FCS level, but he's showed up and played pretty well. You know, I'm kind of putting this one on coaching because I'm not saying that LSU's got the talent where they should shut Alabama down, but – I'm going to read you, Shane, the first couple drives here for Alabama. Seven plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Five plays, 85 yards, touchdown. Five plays, 47 yards, touchdown. Three plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Three plays, 75, touchdown. 11 plays, (laughs) 44 or 77, field goal. And then six plays, 58 yards, touchdown. I didn't skip any. That was the result. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. I mean, this is ridiculous. Like, hell, even Tennessee, who, you know, people think, a lot of people think the coach is a joke and they need to get their ass out of there. They played better than this, you know, and, and we're talking right. defending national champions with, um, I know they, we keep saying they lost a lot, but hell, they got a shit ton of talent on that roster. So, yeah, something's got to be, something's got to be done. This is, this is unacceptable and, hell, it, we may, we may be looking at both coordinators needing to go here at LSU. You think so? Huh? I mean, you, hey, Coach O's fine, right? Well, I think so. And, and you know, there's there's some growing discontent that, uh, you know, last last year was a joke, or not a joke, but la- last year was a one-off. And, you know, he had the Heisman winner and he had Joe Brady, and he'll never have that again. But last time I checked, Shane, Nobody knew who the hell Joe Brady was till Coach O hired him. So he he found that guy. And last time I checked, they got Joe Brady over Cincinnati. So nobody wanted, or excuse me, Joe Burrow over, over Cincinnati. So nobody wanted Joe Burrow either. So I think it's kind of a cop-out to say that, uh, you know, last year was a one-off because the last time I checked, I believe LSU went 10-3 and the year prior. And I think they went 9-4 and the year before that. And playing in the best division in all college football, I think you know you can't just overlook 19 wins the two seasons before you had 15 and 0. So, I think it's kind of a joke to say Coach O is uh, in danger, but yeah. I also think it's a joke that he hired Bo Pelini based on what we've seen, and we may have to <laughs> we may have to correct that. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think. Of course, he's going to come out and he's going to tell you he ain't going to do that until the end of the season. <laughs> but we all know who the first guy that's gone is. <laughs> and next week is Florida. I mean, they're, they're sure as hell not going to take it easy on him. You know what? Oh, no. No, they are not, buddy. 
Golly. <laughs> so let's kick it over to uh, Coach Saban after this one. Shay, he didn't have a lot to say, but I don't know if you caught this, but you know, obviously this was the CBS night game, and uh, you know they've been in Baton Rouge early, and they you know they have their pregame meal and all this. Well, apparently the power got cut off to their hotel. Oh, how'd that happen? And they have to prepare in the dark and all this. So uh, that's just a little bit of the backstory of what Nick Saban was talking about here with uh, some of the challenges they had to put up with. A number of their assistant coaches were out. I They didn't say why, so I think you can assume COVID reasons. But, you know, number of assistants not at the game. They had to promote. It's funny, Shane, they promoted all these analysts. Butch Jones, still not one of them. But uh, let's kick it over to Coach Saban. <laughs> you, you kind of addressed it a little bit, but what were the challenges of uh, playing the game without four of your assistants? And I, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I can't, I can't be specific. Uh, but I knew that on Thursday we knew exactly what we were going to have going into this game. And um, we made a lot of adaptations, you know, staff-wise on Thursday for people to fill in. And, you know, our players have gotten so resilient to all the different things that happened. I mean, electricity went off in the hotel today, like right when we were going to, you know, our religious service, you know, a half hour before a pregame meal. We had to eat pregame meal in the dark. Um, it's like, you know, stuff happens. And everybody just kind of keeps on keeping on because um, a lot of things happen. I mean, I was out last week. We had coaches out this week, but our players just stay focused. And, um, you know, I think, I think when you have good culture on your team and you've established that culture with your team, that, um, you know, they, they, they can adapt and adjust to things that don't go exactly like they expect them to. And uh, we've certainly had a lot of opportunity to learn how to do that this season. To, to follow up on Devontae, what, what's made it possible for him to have a season like this? Is he being used differently, or has he developed in a way that's unleashed this in him? No, I, I think that he was an outstanding player last year. But we also had three other receivers that were outstanding players. And uh, so not, none of them really sort of stood out like Smitty has stood out this year. Um, and because we feature them a lot, they doubled them a lot. They matched up 24 on them a lot. Um, so he, he had some challenges out there today because they, they were trying to take him out of the game. And, you know, he still performed well, had eight catches for 230 yards or something. Um, you know, Mac does a good job of reading the coverages and getting the ball to the right guys. So, um, you know, we need other players to continue to step up and make plays on our team. I think Jalil has helped us do that. You know, Mechie, Slade, you know, Slade had a fumble today. But, um, you know, we just we just need to keep more and more playmakers developing. But Smitty has done fantastic. All right, Shane, so any thoughts uh, Nick Saban had of taking it easy on LSU? Probably went out the damn window when the power got cut to their damn hotel room or hotel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, old Saban was not happy with LSU to begin with. So <laughs> this this was personal, man. And, and you know, just some of the little things that we've heard along the way, we we knew it. We knew it. And he was embarrassed last year losing to this team. And uh, he, because he's watching, I mean, I guarantee Saban watched that national championship thinking that should be us. Mm -hmm. And 
we 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 blew it and he probably he's probably out of all the games that he watched like over and over last year it's it's got it on loop down there in one in his basement you know what i'm saying it's just like so he could see the mistakes that he made during that game so he never happens again so yeah this game felt personal and um and it clearly showed saturday what are the odds and i'm just throwing this out there shane what are the odds uh coach saban didn't even have covid he just wanted to stay home and watch <laughs> nothing but LSU film for two weeks because he knew they they could whoop Auburn's ass without him. Oh, man, you know that's not true, <laughs> but I do like the way you think. <laughs> oh, shit. All right, final uh, thing on this game, Shane. Let's kick it over to Coach O. Why he was so heated after the during this game, if you missed it, after uh, Devonta Smith's second touchdown of the game. I mean, he went damn berserk. He thought he was went wild after uh, – the Tank Finley against A&M, he, he took this thing up another level here. Talked about that. LSU struggling defense and on the momentum of his program. Is it all out the window uh, after last season's national championship? And, um, in the first half, he seemed clearly frustrated after the second touchdown, but it was yeah. number six. Yeah. What what was going on at that time? What did you see in the defense? Yeah. Well, you know, our plan was for most of the game to double team him. You know, and uh, – that was one of the times that we wasn't. So, uh, and you know, we just got beat one on one. It's nobody's fault. And uh, but you know, just the uh, we went into the game to stop number six, and you got to give them credit. Now, sometimes we had him doubled, and he made some big, big plays. So, it was just kind of frustrating to see one player have almost 300 yards in the first half. Great scale issue sports. Um, all season long, this defense has trouble. But would you say this is the worst performance as far as the championship? Well, you know, uh, you know, we had some pretty good performances against Texas A&M and pretty good performance against Arkansas. I think the first half was was not a very good half with the explosive plays, which we wanted to eliminate. And uh, that's all I'm gonna say about that. And Ed, you you said before that you'll wait till the end of the season to evaluate everybody, coaches, everyone included. Does a night like this um, add anything to the evaluation? Your mind. No, I, I, I promised myself we're going to go through the end of the season and then we're going to sit down and look at everything. Ed, do you look at this as more of a one-off, uh, you know, kind of an outlier based on the way your roster is made up right now? Or do you, like you alluded to a couple of years ago, talked about, you know, we need to get better in the trenches. Is there a specific yeah. area where you feel like you still need to maybe close this gap? Oh, yeah, no question. No question. And, you know, it, just, it wasn't just a line of scrimmage. I mean, uh, the explosive plays and the passing, it, it was, uh, we just got to get better. Got to get better scheme-wise. Uh, I think that we have talent in both some places. Uh, I still got to do a better job recruiting. Uh, we beat them last year uh, because we had an excellent offensive scheme and we had the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. That's the reason we beat them. So we still got to get better on defense and we still got to get better on offense and special teams. Hey, uh uh, there was a uh, CBS uh, report at halftime said Derek wanted came to talk to you about the covering of Devontae Smith. Did he want to be on Devontae more in yeah. the second half? Yeah, that's what we talked about at half. You know, let's, let's put you know Derek is our best cover guy. Let's put him on Devontae Smith. And you know what? And and he did. And you know he had a nice breakup. Uh, I don't know what Devontae did in the in the second half, but it was sure not like the first half. Only he played he played a. I'm sure they didn't play him the whole time. But I, uh, you know, she asked me what can we do better. I said, let's put Derek, Derek Stingley on him. And uh, 
and I thought we did a better job in the second half. All right, Shane, so our buddy Coach O not smiling anymore through his pressers, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, a lot of tough, you know, we kind of hit it at it. A lot of tough questions need to be answered in, in Baton Rouge heading into next season. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think they could be a very good team. I think it's kind of foolish to write them off, but I think it would also be foolish if they just went status quo and thought, you know, they had everything under control. I think, uh, I think some things need to be analyzed, particularly on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I really do too. And it just, they're just out of sync and they have been all year long. And it just, I don't know. It, it, it's a, you know, football's a game of inches and, and you've got to have accountability all across the board. And as soon as, cause as soon as somebody drops something, drops their task or, you know, makes a mistake and puts the football on the ground or something like that, I mean, it affects everybody. And it just feels like we're not getting that flawless game from, from, it seems like if you rewind a play from LSU, you can find you can pinpoint the one athlete that didn't do his job and created a, a mistake or created a negative play, and it just that's what it feels like with LSU, mainly on their defensive side of the ball. It's just it's almost like they don't know where they're supposed to be sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean it's just, and it's the same same old same old every damn week. You know what? Yeah, and it's just. And at this point, what do you do? I mean, you've got two more games. Who does LSU have left? They got Florida. What was the other one? Ole Miss? Uh, LSU, they've got, yeah, Ole Miss and Florida. I mean, there's a real chance, Mike, they're going to lose both these games. Yeah, because they, hell, they're and, not going to be able to yeah. stop them. No, I, I can't I, I can't see the defense stopping them. So, you're going from a national championship team to three and seven. Jeez, I mean that's that's a tough pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there's going to be some tough, tough questions to answer this this off season. Oh, yeah. Rouge. All right. Well, yes, uh, l- let's skip it down next. Uh, Shane, Florida, another team knocking at the door of the college football playoff. Went on the road, <sighs> beat Tennessee thirty-one to nineteen, and. You know, you talk about Texas A&M Auburn being closer than the final score was. <laughs> I don't think you can say that about this one here, Shade. I mean, Tennessee, hell, even uh, you know, final dr- couple drives, they were moving the ball. They scored a couple touchdowns, and I think uh, most of the fan base was pissed that they were scoring because they backdoor covered me there in the in the closing moments of the game. But big story. <laughs> For this one, obviously, for Tennessee, Harrison Bailey got his first start as a Tennessee Vol. I thought he looked pretty good. But leave it to Tennessee, Shane, where, you know, we, we're dying to see a new quarterback. We're done with Garantano. And then Tennessee plays the freshman. He looks good. And then they play another quarterback. He looks even better. So now we got more questions than we had going into the damn game. And then on the flip side, Florida, you know, they looked a little... I don't, I don't, I don't know if you want to say conservative on offense at times, but uh, the ground game was just not working at all. And if it's not working against the Tennessee Vols, it's not going to work against any of these teams you're going to see, like Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State. So that's a real, mm-hmm. that's a real issue Florida's got. But it's a good thing they got Kyle Trask and Tony and Pitts because those guys <laughs> went gangbusters. Kyle Trask, 433 yards, four touchdowns. No interceptions. Tony had 108 and a touch. Pitts had 128 yards. 
And it seemed like half the game they damn ignored him. So he probably could have went for about 250 if they really wanted him to in this one. But Gators just basically controlled this the entire way. Tennessee's defense could get no pressure on Kyle Trask. Couldn't guard Tony and Pitts like I thought that would be the case. And uh, I don't know. What what was your thoughts on this one? Uh, You know, <laughs> I mean, I've got a lot of emotions in this game, Mike. Clearly, I was happy that Harrison Bailey got an opportunity to play quarterback. That was first and foremost for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I knew Florida was going to be tough. Uh, anybody anybody that's got a pulse has, has watched anything the Gators have done this year knows that that offense is a tough machine to slow down. And yeah, you had to play flawless ball to even – to master that. I mean, you cover pits, you cover grimes, you cover, and then all of a sudden there's a little joystick Tony out there being covered by 250 pound linebacker. It's like, Oh God, <laughs> you know, this isn't going to work out. So the defensive side really frustrated me with the Tennessee balls, uh, because I don't think the Florida Gators tried to show too much. Like you said, I think it was a little bit vanilla. Now what did piss me off, during this whole situation is even though Harrison Bailey was out there, they, they didn't cut him loose. It it felt like they were really, it felt like they were trying to be conservative. Let me just real quick, Mike, the first drives Tennessee uh, did. It was a run, run third and five Harrison Bailey pass in completion. All right. Second time they get the ball run, run, Third and 12, let's let Harrison throw the ball. And granted, he did convert first down. <laughs> did you see a pattern here? <laughs> Next time, run, run. Harrison Bailey throws the ball, third and eight. Completes it. Next one, I'm not making this up, Mike. Run, run, third and five, let Harrison throw. It's just, it's it was over and over and over again. And it took, a, it took, a couple successful drives for them to start mixing things up and stop playing so damn conservative. That's what drives me nuts. I know you want to keep this game close and I know you want to keep that clock running, especially when the score is as, as, as pretty close as it was. I mean, you, you could say, I mean, before half the Gators got that one touchdown. I mean, we're talking a seven point game. I mean, it, it was, Tennessee was in this a uh, couple of breaks go away. And I told you, I told you, man, this felt like one of those games that Tennessee was going to play close at half. There wasn't going to be any adjustments. And the Florida Gators would run away with it. And that's exactly what I felt like happened here. Mm-hmm. But what drives me nuts is one of the problems with Garantano. And I know Garantano didn't play during this game, but one of, one of the things that kept coming up with him was, was just his emotional state. You know, it's like he would do really well, and it's almost like he needed he he needed those safe routes to feel comfortable back there. But you, what you got to understand, Mike, is you create that person, you can tr- create that player, you can create create that situation. So think about quarterback, brand new quarterback, Harrison Bailey. Everybody's excited, pumped up. What do you do? You handicap his play calling. Okay, you don't let him throw right on the first. He's he's not allowed to throw him first and second down. When he does throw, it needs to be a little wide receiver screen or something out. It's just we've got that's. So then, 
you, you're messing with his psyche. You bring in Mar- uh, Brian in for some damn reason to come in and, and run a play. Okay, so we're already starting to juggle quarterbacks. And toward the end when this game's out, instead of leaving him in there so that he can take those valuable reps, it's like, no, let's bring JT in. Let's see what the hell he can do. And now he looks. Now we got another quarterback controversy, and Gary Tano's not even involved. You're creating this. Do you see that? I mean, could you imagine if this was anything else in real life? Like, think about, like, uh, shit. I, I don't know, Mike, if you took one of those drivers, driving ed class, or you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You, you're going out there, and you got the little cube on top of your car, and You've got the steering wheel, but the instructor over there, he's got his own steering wheel and his brake and, and whatever, you know, and you're starting to go good. You're doing great. And all of a sudden he slams on the brake and he's like, no, nah, no, nah, let's get the other guy from the back seat and bring him up. Cause I think he can drive better, you know? And then, and then, so you keep rotating these guys around and it's just that none of them are going to have confidence back there. If, if obviously we've, we've closed the door on Garantano, that's good. That's what, that's what we wanted. Uh, no offense, Garantano, if you're listening. But now Bailey's out there. If you thought JT was the guy, JT should have been out there from the beginning. You don't throw him in there at the tail end of the game and waste valuable reps. Is JT the future? Mike, he's not. I'm telling you right now. Harrison Bailey's our future. So that it's just they're creating this. Now, I, I know Harrison is second-guessing himself already. I'm second-guessing. I watched JT, and I'm like, well, maybe he is the guy. And I'm thinking, I'm like, no, I'm doing exactly what the coaching staff is trying to do with a quarterback, and this is the one position. It's like kickers; you don't you don't rotate. You keep a guy in there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I Sorry. can't disagree with That's any of you. Lot. Just your rambling spiel there, but uh, I would add this, Shane. Doesn't it seem like you know when Tennessee has like an eight or nine yard play, it's like yeah. it feels like it's a damn miracle that that happened. And, and it feels like a lot has overcome to make that work. And then when Florida has like an eight or nine yard play, you think, well, I wonder why they checked the ball down. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> why did they go deep? You know what I mean? So, uh, I mean, this was just, it was night and day different when you're talking offenses yeah. and how smooth one can run. And and I, I'm glad you, you've referenced, you know, the situations they're putting in Harrison Bailey because it was just – it's so bizarre that a guy like Jim Chaney, who's got all his experience and he's making a ton of money, and I'm not sitting here saying he doesn't know what the hell he's doing, but what the hell is he doing? Because, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. an idiot like me could tell you, you don't, you know, just ask him to throw the ball on third and long every damn time. Uh, Florida is waiting for you to do that. You know, like uh, you ought to be throwing it on first down, open up the run game. I mean, they're, it's like they're doing it damn mm-hmm. opposite day here, but – Exactly. Um, I just, I don't know what the hell's going on there, and uh, I think that's another one where, you know, kind of similar to Coach O and the and the defense. Uh, I think Jeremy Pruitt has got to blow up this offense because I think it's hurting them in recruiting, and and I don't see any development, and I don't know. I just don't know what the hell they're doing. It doesn't seem like they know what the hell they're doing. You know, there are a couple of things that cross my mind when I'm watching this this quarterback carousel. It's almost like they're you know, they're, they're obviously they love this kid out of Texas. What's his name? Caden um, Solder. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, dude, this is the thoughts that cross my mind. Is like, well, maybe he's doing it so that he stays committed. So if he sees that he's not happy with any of the quarterbacks up here, clearly he's the guy. You know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> almost like 
He wants to give that impression that, hey, we're only a quarterback away. And really we are. This program is one good quarterback from a, a totally different outcome. But then part of me is thinking, what other positions are we doing this with? I, I know the quarterback's out. You know, everybody sees a quarterback. Everybody knows what's going on there. But is he doing this on the offensive line? Is he doing this with players in the defensive side of the ball? You know, this, this rotation and, and, and not – it just, I don't know. Maybe he's, I, that, that, that's the thought that's crossing my mind, is what other position is being mishandled right now? Uh, I would say offensive line, receiver, tight end. <laughs> <laughs> the running backs are solid. <laughs> the running backs look good if they get their footing. But, uh, no, they, they did really good. I, and, again, I, I started out this podcast, I'm not mad. I thought it was a huge step letting Harrison Bailey come out. What I am mad about is letting JT come out because nothing against JT. But if he's your guy, if JT's the guy, then he why did he not take the first snap? And it's not like Harrison just messed up, but, but now he's second-guessing because he, he's afraid if he has a bad drive that he's going to get pulled and JT, you cannot – you can't mess with a quarterback psyche like that, you know, back to that, to the driver's head thing. I mean, if the instructor is constantly tapping on the brakes while I'm freaking driving, I'm going to, I'm always going to think I'm about to mess up. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a confident driver because I I have somebody that's being a little overprotective over here. Mm -hmm. So I I think the same thing with the quarterback situation, Harrison, if he was the guy should have took the the first snap should have take, took the last snap. Brian shouldn't come in and, and do the changeup that's stupid, and JT shouldn't have came in there at the tail end, even though he backdoored the spread. That's fantastic, but if unless JT, unless you plan on making a future out of JT Shroud, then then we should I should never see him in the backfield unless we're just we got a win, like we're we got a comfortable victory, or you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I feel like we were spieling the whole time about uh, Tennessee. One thing, no, one no, thing no, I no, forgot sorry. to mention here about uh, Florida. You know, I thought they really, the moment they, or the sequence, I guess if you want to call it, of where they won this game. You know, it, almost before halftime, Shane, it the score was ten to seven. It was a very tight ball game, but uh, Florida yeah. drove the length of the field, ten plays, eighty yards, scored a touchdown with thirty seconds left in the half, and then they got the ball first, second half. Did the same damn thing. Five five plays, 75 yards, 24 to 7 in a blink of an eye. And that was the backbreaker. So, you know, again, got to really credit the the situational awareness there of Florida, knowing that, you know, they're getting the ball back. We go out here and score a touchdown right before half. We're, we'll basically sew this thing up if we can do it on the back end. And they did it. And that's, that's what championship teams do, Shane. And Florida Gators just won their first clinched their first SEC East title under Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen has never won a division title until 2020, and he had to go through a damn 10-game SEC slate to do it. <laughs> so let's kick it over to Coach Mullen, Shane, on Florida winning the East and uh, on on him winning his first-ever division title. Yeah, congrats, Dan. Thank you. you. You talked about it being the hardest in the history of the SEC. Just Can you take us through just how daunting it's been 
you know, I mean, all year, really. Well, I mean, you know, you're looking at things. When you have the COVID deal, you have the guys that decide to opt out before the season starts. I mean, we come in today's game and we're down, you know, we're, we're, we're already to our third string safety by the sixth, fifth play of the game, it seems like, you know. Uh, and, you know, you're doing it against, against excellent football teams, you know. I mean, and they, they, this is the SEC. And, they, you know, I think one thing that the league's not getting the credit for is playing these. You know, if, we're play, if everybody played, you know, we're playing four, five, six games or something, uh, who knows what the records would be. Uh, but, you know, I mean, when you're looking at all these teams in, in this league, you know, usually it's the SEC. You expect a lot of, you know, you look at everybody's teams in this record, you expect most people to go 4-0 and or 3-1 and outside the league. That's kind of a lot what happens. And you start throwing 4-0 uh, and onto the current win totals of teams in this league, and I think um, be pretty surprised. But I think it is such a huge challenge. You know, I mean, you're talking about top to bottom, the best league in college football. Um and, you know, uh, and w- when you are that top to bottom, that's where this challenging comes from every single week. Uh, th- there is no breather when you're playing an all-SEC schedule. There's, there's no chance to catch your breath. And uh, so, um, you know, I, it's, a huge, it's a huge deal for our guys to be able to come and win the league with, with that, that type of year we're ha- that, that we're going through. Yeah, Coach, congratulations. I'm just w- wondering what it means to you to get to your first SEC championship game as a head coach <laughs> means a lot you know I mean I I'm very I, you know I think you guys know me I'm a perfectionist and I, I like I'm critical every little detail that goes on during the game um, and I'm, I'm you know starting to analyze all the different ways we can get better so Scott Strickland reminded you know he came up and told me to put a smile on my face and a lot of players make sure make sure we enjoy this put a smile on our face because this is what we work for so uh, I'm thrilled you know I mean this is it when um, you know I came to Florida to have the opportunity to win championships and that that is the reason that I came here. Uh, now we're SEC East champs, and uh, you know, now we have the opportunity to go be SEC champs, and uh, you know, that, that's that's what you work for uh, all the time. That's what we work for since the day that I got here uh, three, you know, a little over three years ago. I imagine you have some pretty good memories of, of Atlanta as an assistant. Uh, what does it mean to you try to bring that program back here to Atlanta and try to make some more memories here? I think it's awesome. I think you know. I mean, this is uh, for us. This is this is where we want to be. We want to come. We want to be playing in Atlanta in early December, and um, this year happens to be mid to later December, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, that's always that. That's the goal, and that's 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 the Gator standard. That's what it's about. And so, I mean, I'm excited to get back. I mean, we've had uh, I've had uh, two great trips uh, there as an assistant coach. Uh, it is such an awesome game, a special game. Uh, it's still, you know, and it, w- it will be again this year. And um, but you know, we we do we gotta we'll enjoy that tonight. But we got we got another huge game at home. And one of our one of the things we always want to do to be successful, you want to win in the swamp. And we gotta we have the opportunity to have an undefeated season home uh, at 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 home uh, next week. So that's gonna that's gonna take over our focus starting tomorrow. Uh, yeah, Jeremy, you, you talked a lot about Harrison's night, but uh, what what sort of precipitated that switch to JT late, and what's the status here? starting quarterback position right now? Well, uh, JT played. JT really had a two weeks of really good practice work. And then on Wednesday, um, you know, he's just throwing a ball and a shoulder pop. So we didn't really know if he could even play going into, de- into today, but um, felt like he could. So we had a plan to play both of the guys going in if, if, if JT could. Um, and kind of went with Harrison there and we're kind of rocking along. Long okay. Uh, I know hadn't created a lot of expo- explosive plays, but we were kind of changing the momentum of the game there, um, and then gave up a drive right before the half there. But 
you know, as the game went in the second half, there's a couple plays out there that that um, maybe we could have been a little bit more aggressive on. And, and JT's probably, uh, from an experience standpoint, he's, he's, you know, two years older than Harrison, just getting him out there and getting him going. So I thought JT done a nice job at the end. And your quarterback competition? I mean, I mean, guys, you know, every week, okay? So y'all will never have to ask me this again, okay? Every week we go out there and we see uh, who competes in practice, uh, who does the best job that we feel like uh, affects the guys around them. Uh, and we will do that as long as I'm the head football coach here at every position. So you don't have to ask me ever, ever, ever again. Coach, you talk about the positives in this game um, and, and getting back to work tomorrow. Do you leave this game feeling differently than you have in the, in the previous losses? I mean, is there a kind of a, a different kind of excitement to know that, you know, there were some plays made today? No, no. I, I came to this stadium to win the game, right? just like you go to every one of them. So that's the only go. So, um, no, that's the answer. Jeremy, uh, Florida had 19 yards on 17 carries. Just talk about your run defense against uh, Florida. Well, I, I didn't even realize they ran the football, to be honest. Uh, seemed like they threw it every snap. Uh, it's totally different than, you know, probably three years ago playing against, you know, Dan when he was at Mississippi State. Um, so, you know, I, I, I felt like our guys played hard. You know, defensively, we played hard. Okay, uh, we had three or four guys that hadn't practiced in two weeks, right? Uh, we made some mistakes in the game, and I made some bad calls, you know, that didn't put them in the best place to, to have success against a good football team. I got to do better, all right? We all got to do better, all right, to be able to stop this team. There was, which there was a few plays tonight that, that they made on us they shouldn't have made, all right? And we, we've got to fix that. We got to make, make sure that everything that they do, that they earn it, you know, and that's not taking nothing away from them because they're going to make a bunch of plays because they got a lot of talent. They got and they're good coaches and got a really good scheme. But we got to make them earn it every week. All right, Shane. So there you have it from Coach, and you know everybody and their damn mother is going to be picking Alabama to beat them. And I think that's the exact position Dan Mullen and Florida want to be in going into this SEC championship because the Alabama also clinched the West with their win over LSU. So that's officially settled. But uh, I don't know, thoughts on uh, Florida winning the East? And is this the first of many, do you think, under Dan Mullen? Uh, yeah, I, I really do. Because, you know, in the short time he's been down there, it's it's amazing what he's been able to do with this offense. And, and honestly, just a little recruiting and I don't know, maybe, maybe a little coaching. I mean, if this team – can become balanced on both sides of the ball. They, they, they can become the next powerhouse. They could be the, the Gators of the nineties and two thousands, you know what I'm saying? So, um, scary as a Tennessee fan, because you know, that it seems like they've just not looked back and, uh, you know, this, and I want to apologize. I'm going to issue an apology. I went a little I, too long on Tennessee. I know I tried not to be a Homer. <laughs> what, what what the Gators are able to do is impressive, and I cannot wait, Mike. Absolutely cannot wait to see them and Alabama face off because it's 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 just like throw defense out, man. This this may be a sixty to 
58 game. I mean, that's that's what the potential is, and uh, both both are showing that that they belong. And and kudos to the Gators, man. It wasn't easy, but sitting there at eight and a one with all SEC schedule and, and and taking down who they. I mean, they've had a tough schedule, brother. They they haven't had it easy, and and it seems like every week it's either Pitts showing up or Tony showing up or Grimes showing up or Copeland showing up. Mm-hmm. It's just like. You know, or if it's just it's just Trask making damn passes. Trask, I mean, another game, four hundred thirty-three yards passing, four touchdowns. I mean, this is, geez. I mean, how how can he not be your your Heisman favorite right now? Yeah, I mean, I think he's got it locked up already. But uh, <laughs> and guess what? He's playing LSU next week, so he's just gonna pad them stats. You know what? <laughs> Absolutely, man. Just an absolute machine, the Gators. All right, final game to talk about here, Shane. Kentucky, South Carolina, 41-18. to 18. And believe it or not. Lock of the week. <laughs> Man, what kind of idiot would have made that call? But, uh, you know, South Carolina came out looking hot. Shane, they scored a touchdown right off the clock. You were sweating it out. Then they... Mm-hmm. called that bat that sucker back and then they just melted down from there on out <laughs> this was uh this was a tough tough game to watch i don't want to spend a whole bunch of time on it because this was uh this was the end of the season for both these teams and i think if it, they're being honest both fans are glad to have this damn season behind them but mm-hmm. kevin harris he got his thousand yard total for the season got 210 yards both the games he had over 200 rushing yards, South Carolina lost. How in the hell is that possible? I don't know. You know, for the story of the game for Kentucky, I mean, they couldn't be stopped on offense. South Carolina's defense, all these uh, – Kentucky had 17 players out, I think, due to COVID. South Carolina had mm-hmm. 16 total defensive players. <laughs> we should have known – I wish I would have known that before I locked them up here, buddy. But uh, uh, it showed. It certainly showed there because Kentucky went from – uh, what I thought was probably the worst offense in the damn SEC to looking like the damn Florida Gators here in a heartbeat. And they just laid it to South Carolina. And they were just unstoppable. Uh, for 291 yards rushing. Terry Wilson even threw for 200 yards. That's probably one of his best games ever in his last game as a Kentucky Wildcat. And then they fired the entire offensive staff after the game. So. <laughs> I don't know. That's after that's what I got on this one. Touchdown. <laughs> yeah. After everybody gets a touchdown, he's like, oh, "Okay, you got to go now." So, <laughs> uh, but that I, you know, he really does, man. I Kentucky. I mean, first off, let me give respect, and, and I mean Rodriguez, Rose, another. I mean, that's just the that's a dynamic duo. It was it was good to see them uh, both healthy both on the field because they showed you just how dynamic and dangerous they can be. Um, also, I, I got to give Harris a shout out, South Carolina. I mean, not a lot of shining stars on that football program, but I'm telling you uh, what, what Kevin Harris has been able to do this season is, is unbelievable. I mean, sitting there at almost what 1100 yards for the year, 15 touchdowns, the, the kid's putting up some some all SEC numbers right now, so uh, I thought that was impressive. But back to Kentucky, I just you know again it's it, it's time you know uh, 
every every game the last two seasons. I, I mean, you you had to do it last year. I get it because of Lynn, but there there's plenty of talent on that roster right now to be two dimensional, to not be so run heavy. And uh, you had one of the best offensive lines you've had in a long time. Uh, just I, I think I think it's time, man. Uh, nothing against Coach Grant. I, I you know. He's had some highlights. He's had some really great days, and it's just—I I think it's just—it's time to get a new look, a new—I don't know—a new chemistry on on that side of the ball, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, after the game, they had the post conferences and everything like that. But on Sunday, Mark Stoops had held another one after announcing the firing of Eddie Grant and Darren Henshaw, the quarterback coach. So I'm going to play those clips. I'm going to kick it over right here, Shane, to Mark Stoops on what kind of offense they want to run. And, you know, he was kind of honest. I mean, their their offense was hurting them in recruiting. And he says Kentucky's willing to make the, the, the commitment to getting an elite offensive coordinator in here. And then this last one, I just really wanted to play this because I think you can you can really get a sense for how difficult a year this has been for Mark Stoops and – even he seems like he's kind of over it at the moment. And I think he needs to – it's almost like he needs to step away for a – he just wants an hour or two to himself, you know. So, That's what it sounds like, man. Let's kick it over to Coach Stu. Mark, just what do you envision for the kind of offense you want to run moving forward? Obviously, the offense that you thought Eddie and Darren were going to run when they came from Cincinnati didn't end up being the same system because of injuries and all that the first year and Benny emerging. Just what do you want the offense to look like now? Well, uh, no offense, but uh, we play different defenses than they do uh, in in that league, you know. So I think we'd all like uh, an offense that looks like that, but uh, it's difficult uh, in the SEC. And I think what was so great about Eddie and Darren is they did adapt to the talent that we have and the things that we can do to help us win football games. Uh, for for a large portion of their time here and we won a lot of games again it can't go unnoticed that uh, you know we 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 won as many games in certain time periods as they have in 40 years so they adapted well Um, but there also comes a time when uh, you know when when you know change is needed so um, you know we want an offense that that's balanced I mean that's what I envision is a team that uh obviously can can be very balanced uh, we did become one dimensional uh, again i can't put that all on on eddie grant or darren henshaw or any one person uh, that's a collective effort um, certainly as the head coach um, i i share in that responsibility and that criticism because i'm the one that that ultimately determines the the the, the culture of this program and we've had a very strong winning culture for a long time that's how how we were able to hold it together this year during super difficult times. Um, but uh, you also have an obligation to make sure we're progressing and, and having an offense that, uh, you know, is exciting to watch, that puts fans in, in, in the stands. Uh, we need that. You need to, um, you know, attract the, the right guys in recruiting and, and constantly move forward. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm wide open. I, I think it would be, extremely difficult to, to go from one extreme to the other. Um, you know, we've seen that in this league and uh, it, it's difficult. So, um, you know, I want to be balanced, but I want to be exciting to watch as well. 
Hey, Mark, you talk about wanting to be exciting and balanced and how much of that, you know, just keeping guys that are already on the roster kind of on board and, 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 and future players and how does that play into with signing day coming up, trying to get somebody, I guess, is there an urgency to get somebody in place before that or, or can that kind of go past signing day, you think? Uh, we will see. I, I feel pretty good about signing day. I have, um, uh, you know, there, there's a chance that we could have somebody in place uh, before signing day. That's for sure. Um, uh, but but I don't think it's the end all be all. I feel pretty pretty good um, with this group and in the uh, they they trust in the in the vision of what we have as we move forward. So um, I'm just going to make sure we get the right guy. This is maybe a little bit different when you first got here, but to now, I mean, I know that the money you know buying these guys out will, will be something that the university has to deal with. But do you have any sense? Do you have a kind of an assurance that you know to a point that that the university is willing to spend on somebody, you know, to, 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 to kind of, you know, if you find a guy and he needs a certain amount of money, that that's something that would, would happen. You think I've, I've had full uh, support and um, I don't anticipate that changing. Um, you know, I've uh, met with uh, Mitch obviously and had discussions with him leading up to this decision. And uh, Mitch has had to go up the chain and have the conversations with the president's office and, the president and all that. So, um, um, yes, I feel like I, I, I will have the full support uh, to do what's necessary. Um, you know, we, we have to. You know, we're competing in this league, and I don't need to tell you all what it's like. So, uh, you know, we have to have that support. Mark, how much had the perception of being one-dimensional offensively? Was it becoming a, a recruiting issue? And secondly, what do you – I mean – in big picture, what do you think went wrong? What do you think caused the offense to get so out of balance? You know, that's a difficult question. It's a difficult year. Um, you know, we could, we could go into a bunch of ifs and buts, but nobody really wants to hear that. And um, it is what it is. Um, as I mentioned many times, I, I don't want to sit here and cry the blues. It's a difficult year. It's tough. You know, when, when your offense is uh, – you know, playing exceptional teams every single week, it puts a lot of stress on you and it does hurt you as far as your confidence and your ability to just play and, and uh, get out there and do some things. So I think that has a, has an effect. I think it had an effect on us this year. Um, you know, how the bat offense got so out of balance. We're all frustrated with that. Trust me, you know, Believe me, without throwing anybody under the bus, because Eddie's one of my dear friends. Darren's one of my dear friends. I love those guys. I am responsible for for the whole, you know, program and the culture of this program. Uh, but I am very, very limited in what I'm involved as far as what they play, what they plan, how they practice. You know, that that is. Uh, I, I do not have enough hours in the day. Maybe some head coaches do. I don't know, maybe I need to talk to my SID and talk to, you know, I'm getting pulled a million different directions. I have to set the tone with the messaging of this team. I, I, I work extremely hard uh, working at culture, uh, you know, and building their, their leadership, building their character, uh, messaging, and, when, and working in the defense. I wish I could just be left alone for two hours 
two, three hours in a defensive meeting without getting pulled out of there every 15 minutes for something. And there are things you have to deal with as a head coach. Uh, but I am very, very limited as far as input. Uh, and uh, really, um, I don't have the time to, to, to be involved or, or the expertise. I know what a good offense needs to look like. Uh, but I, but I cannot spend my time in there, uh, in, and also be in there with the defense. Um, you know, I have my input. I uh, give some recommendations, and and uh, I know when things are not looking right. That's for sure. Uh, when things are not looking right, I'm gonna step in and try to be be part of the solution. Um, but I try to stay out of the way and not be part of the problem. Um, that, that's. That's up to the guys that I hire. All right, Shade. So like I said, you can kind of hear from him there. I mean, he's kind of over this year and the frustrations. And, and a part of it sounds like – I didn't play the whole clips there, but it certainly sounds like, you know, he's just fired two of his good buddies here. So that probably played in, a part into it. But yeah. he knows that uh, you want to have friends or you want to have a championship program. And he wants a championship program. And the way Kentucky was trending on offense, it just wasn't going to happen under uh, uh, Eddie Grant and, and Darren Henshaw. So, you know, I think this is one where it's a tough, tough decision. But at the end of the day, it's the, it's the only decision. It's the only decision. Absolutely, man. I, I think it's good for them. Uh, I know this fan base, that they're not happy with the current situation. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They, that they're, they're, they felt like they took a step back this season. And honestly, I felt like they did too. And, and then uh, on the other side of the ball, man, got South Carolina. You know, I, I know Doty. Doty's not. I don't know what's 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 with Doty. I mean, let me, what's your honest opinion after two games of the quarterback situation there in South Carolina? Well, man, when he came out and he was gunslinging and looked awesome, who was that against Missouri? Mm-hmm. And then I think. Uh, once the tape was out on it, they kind of just figured out how to stop him, and it was kind of easy. But at the same time, it's true what these coaches say. When you go into the season and, and you go into camp and you got your starter, yeah, it's damn near impossible to get the, the backups and even the third team, which I think he was kind of running for most of the year, it's, a, it's almost impossible to get them reps. Because your mm-hmm. focus is not on trying to get the freshmen ready to play, because that's that's asinine. They were trying to get Colin Hill in a position to, to win him a game, and right. now that he's dropped into the get into the season eight games in, you know he looked great that first game. He looked a little worse the next game, and then this one I thought was his worst performance. So it's not like I'm totally writing him off. I think we've seen enough flashes to know that. Uh, you know, he could be a, a really quality player for you. But at the same time, and I know probably some South Carolina fans may not want to hear this, but, you know, look what Lane Kiffin did for Matt Corral. I think there's a chance if he stays, and whoever we don't even know who the offensive coordinator is going to be at South Carolina, but there's hope that uh, Halinski, you know, could, get, could have his career resurrected. So yeah. I think we've got, if you're South Carolina and you got Doty, and you got Halinski if he returns. I think you've got two quality options there, and I think that's a hell of a lot more than a lot of SEC programs have to say when a coach gets fired. Exactly. No, that's a good point. All right, Shane. Hey, last thing. We, we're kind of winding down pretty long here. We got to uh, guess the opening lines like we always do. Buddy, you ready to guess some lines? 
Yeah, buddy, let's do it. All right, and remember, so this was supposed to be uh, kind of like the the SEC makeup weekend, but we've had so many <laughs> that we're, <laughs> we're having to shuffle the schedule all around. So we got some, you know, kind of rivalry games here, and then we just got some oddballs thrown in here. So let's start with LSU at Florida. Who? Did, what was your guess for the line on this one? Close game, Mike. I got Florida minus 26. <laughs> <laughs> I said Florida minus 16, and you win this one, Shane. It's Florida minus 23, and kind of like the the damn game we just saw, you got to feel like this is going to be somewhat of a revenge game for the Gators. You know what? Yeah. Yeah, I think something, man. This spread, yeah, that one may go up a little bit. All right, how about this next game, Shane? Auburn at Mississippi State. What would you guess for this one? This one I got Auburn minus seven and a half. I said Auburn minus eight, and you win this one too, Shane. It's Auburn minus seven. You almost, you almost got it dead oh, on there. Man, minus touch, baby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how about this one? Suddenly looks like a hell of a game here. Georgia at Missouri. What'd you have for this one? I've got Georgia minus 24 and a half. I got you on this one, Shane. I said Georgia 13 and a half. It opened yeah. Georgia minus 13. Oh, geez, man. I, I didn't give Mizzou any respect, did I? No, sir. <laughs> How about – Hey, they do. <laughs> this is always a good game, too. Mizzou does play them close. I should have thought about that. Sorry. How about this one? And, and this has been announced already as the CBS game, and they're going to do it at night. This one right here, Shane. Ole Miss at Texas A&M. <laughs> Should be a fun one. Should be. I've got Texas A&M minus nine and a half. I said Texas A&M minus seven, but you win this one, Shane. How about this? Texas A&M favored by 16 points. Damn. No respect for them Rebels. None. All right, how about this one, Shane? The one uh, I know you you, you just can't wait for this one. Tennessee (laughs) at Vanderbilt. What would you have for this one? This thing got postponed about 15 times, Mike. I think they're dodging each other. I've got Tennessee minus 17. I said Tennessee minus 14, and I nailed this one. Tennessee minus 14 at opening. You think they'll play this game? No, I don't. I think something will happen. All right, final game on the docket here, Shane. Alabama at Arkansas. Yes. uh, This one here. I think I was. I think I messed up. I got Alabama minus twenty nine. I think that's a little too high. I said Alabama minus twenty four, but you win this one too, Shane. It's Alabama minus thirty one. Damn, man. And I, sorry, Arkansas. For me, I don't know about you. I mean, I don't want to break down the game too much here. Just on the first, <laughs> we just opened the damn line here. But if Felipe Franks is plays, and and I don't know if if he's going to, but. If he does, I I think I like Arkansas on those points. Yeah. I mean, that's the first one out of all of them. Well, besides uh, the Georgia one, obviously, I was a little little skewed on that one. So, that's another one I, I'm, I'm liking that point spread a little bit. So, I don't know, man. We got some really good games. So, this was supposed to be – I mean, at first, no games are scheduled this week. Now, we've got six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the only ones that are done – in the SEC, South Carolina and Kentucky, those, and that's why we're seeing coaching changes. So their seasons are done. <laughs> They're able to get a jump start on the coaching carousel. So you can only imagine the changes we got coming to the rest of these teams in the days and weeks to come. It's going to be pretty wild, don't you think? 
Oh yeah, man. I'm looking forward to it, brother. And uh, I'm looking, I mean, you know, soak it up guys. Uh, this is, this is, this is it for a lot. Some of these programs, ain't it? Some of these, the 10 games. Yeah. So, uh, for several of these teams, this is going to be their final outing of the week or uh, of the year. And who knows about the bowl season? I mean, uh, I, I think the vast majority of these teams are going to go to a bowl game because they've opened it up to where you can all go. But I don't know that. I mean, these bowl, bowl games could not honor them or, or who knows. So, um, I'm, ho- I'm yeah. hoping each and every one gets a bowl game that wants one, but I don't know if that's going to go down or, or how it's going to go down. So, uh, again, we got to savor every damn game we're getting here, Shane, because uh, the season's almost towards an end here, and we're getting into the dark, yeah. dark off season of, of no joy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, man, you're right, man. We're, we're on the tail end of this thing, and so you need to sponge it up, guys, and I appreciate everything you've done, Mike, getting all this stuff together for us today. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to an exciting week, Mike. I think we're going to have some I, – I don't know. All, all the stuff, coaches getting fired stuff, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to be loaded up on news this week. Absolutely, buddy. Well, hey, let's cut it here. And uh, before we go, let's just remind the listeners, if you made it this far, if you wouldn't mind giving us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app, we're only about two away from a thousand reviews, so really trying to get to that thousand mark. We do appreciate each and every one of you that does that, so we send you a free beer koozie of your choice just for doing that. But uh, you got anything else, Shane, before we hop off here? Nope. Getting late, brother. Got to get up, hit the hit the work tomorrow, so I hope you guys enjoy this on your way to work, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, some exciting stuff tomorrow. Absolutely, Shane. Well, thanks for joining me as always. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls.